It's a good day to be together, amen? Amen. amen. It's a good day to be together. I'm looking forward to, uh, to our series this morning. Uh, we are in week three of our All of Me series, uh, which is coming right after Easter. Uh, after Easter, we, we, where we talked about the resurrection. We talked about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, how it is a very real thing. And as a very real thing, it changes us in very real ways. And uh, that's really what this series is all about. It's about giving all of us to the resurrected Jesus. And, and that's really what we've been talking about. The last couple of weeks, we've really been talking about this exchange that happens as we exchange all that we are, everything that we have, everything that we are for, everything that God is. We give up all of ourselves to God. We give our, our sins, we give our desires, we give everything else, everything up to God. And in return, God gives us all of him. Uh, this exchange is probably the biggest bargain of all time. Uh, we, we get all of God and all we have to give up is all of us. I mean, which one, is, which one would you rather have? You would rather have all of God, right? And so we're, we're talking about sort of this exchange. So the, the very first week of this series, we talked about giving up all that we are. And we talked about this yoke that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 11, the yoke uh, and Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. It's not a, a burdensome yoke. It's not the yoke of the law as everybody else is trying to put on you. Take my yoke on you. And I will, and we talked about the imagery of Jesus being in the yoke with us, helping us, helping us do the things that he is calling us to do. And then last week we talked about how we get all of him. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Those seven words change everything. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I hope that you have been repeating that this week over and over again. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Just, just understand that Jesus is, is in you. You have Christ in you. Now this morning, we're going to begin to really kind of dive a little deeper into all the different ways, maybe more specific ways, that this, our lives change because of this. As we continue to pursue God he begins to work in our lives to transform everything about us. Now, that first part of that sentence there is an important part. As we continue to pursue God, this has to, this has to keep happening. This is a, a continual pursuit on our part. We can never stop. We will never arrive. We, we have never arrived. We need to continue to pursue God until the very end. We continue to pursue every day, every moment. Pursuit of God needs to take place in our lives. I've been reading a book over the last week. Uh, it's called a Pur The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And uh, there's just some, some pretty spectacular parts to this book. I want to just read you just a couple different things. I want you to just remember this. He, this book was written in 1968, 54 years ago. And really what he's talking about in this book is, I think, touches a lot of things into even, even today. Here's what he says. It is how tragic that we in this dark day have had our seeking done for us by our teachers. Everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ, a term, incidentally, which is not found in the Bible. And we are not expected, therefore, to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. He says, we have been, we have been snared in the coils of a spurious logic, which insists that if we have found him, we need no more seek him. Now that, is, that was profound when I read that this week. We've been caught in this logic that says, if I have found God, I no longer need to seek him. That is just not the case. 
We need to continue to pursue God, continue to go deeper and grow deeper. And as we do that, I pray that we continue to pursue. And as we do, I think we'll see there's so much more than just a a momentary cognitive agreement to say, yeah, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that he died on the cross. There's more than just that cognitive moment where we say amen on Easter. There's more than that. There is a life to be lived outside of that. We have to continue to pursue God, which brings me to today. We pursue him in all aspects of our lives. And I want to just begin over the next five or six weeks talking about how the different areas in which that changes everything. Starting today with even just our emotions. How does the pursuit of God, as A.W. Tozer puts it, how do you, this craving for God, how does this change, knowing that we, are, we have exchanged everything? You ever had a craving? I have a craving every once in a while for ice cream. It happens. Uh, maybe you're with me there. We used to have this joke at the house that if we were out of milk, it could wait until the next day. But if we were out of ice cream, I was going to the store. <laughs> That's me. That's just for me. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I love ice cream, but every once in a while there's this craving that I get. My mouth just kind of sorts the water for it. There's this uh, burrito place down in San Diego. It's called Adalberto's. And uh, every once in a while I just get this thought like, ah, Adal sounds really good right now, you know. And so I just, I just have this kind of just this mouth-watering craving that I have sometimes. In fact, uh, there's, it was a place we would go in college. You know, I, I was thinking back this morning even. You know, college, we would wake up at like 11 o'clock and then go get a burrito. And I don't remember the last time I've slept until 11 o'clock. Like, I, think, I think those college years were nice when you could just sleep in. You know? And now there's kids and uh, 8 o'clock is like a nice morning. You know? so, <laughs> but uh, you know, so we would we'd wake up, we'd go get a burrito. Here's how, here's how strong this craving was, though. Uh, when I was a youth pastor in Lompoc down on the coast, uh, there was a, a group from our church that was going to be going to Mexico. Uh, another pastor in our church was leading this group. We had a bunch of teenagers and a bunch of people from our church going. But he went down beforehand uh, to this church down in Ensenada. And uh, what he needed me to do was, what he was trying to get me to do was he was saying, I think you need to drive the bus with the people down to the border. Just drive them down to San Diego. I'll come back across the border, meet you in San Diego, and then I'll take the bus and go forward. And you can take the truck that I have back to town. And I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Like, why, why would we do that? And he goes, Think about this, you could have a burrito. (laughs) And you know what I did? I drove that bus down to San Diego and I dropped off everybody and I got a burrito and I came home. And uh, that was a good 12 hour drive that day for a burrito. But uh, you know, that's just the strength of a craving. Sometimes we have this craving and it's just, that's all I want. Uh, All I want is this craving. Some of you moms, happy Mother's Day by the way, have had some of those cravings, pregnancy cravings, where that's just all you want. Like that is, that's it. It's, it could be weird. It could be strange. Whatever it is, that's what I want. Uh, we, we crave it. We crave this. And I think it's safe to say that we've all had a craving every, for every once in a while. But what I want to do this morning is think about how those cravings or desires actually really relate to our faith. And it's at this point that we stop talking about burritos and we start talking about Jesus. We were, we were created to crave Jesus. We were created to emotionally crave a relationship with Jesus. But what, what has happened historically in the church, 
I'm talking historically from Bible times and on. What happens is this. There's a pendulum that swings in the church. We have this pendulum that goes from, uh, we, we, we talk about our emotions for Jesus, our, our love for Jesus. And that's all that matters. It's just this emotional, I, I love Jesus. I, I just want nothing more. And then we go and we swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. And it's just, I want to know about Jesus. I want to know, I want to know scripture. I want to know, I want to know, I want to fill my brain with everything that there is to know about Jesus. I want to know all the theology. I don't know, I want to know all the ideas. I want to read all the authors. I want to do all of this. I want to just know. And on one hand, you have a faith and you have a people who are just emotionally spent sometimes. And you have people who are emotionally swayable by anything that sounds good about God. And on the other hand, you have a people who have no emotion and really, like, you can't really tell that they love God. They just know a lot about Him. And what I want to say this morning is there's probably a middle ground that we need to be in. Where we, we have the knowledge. Every single one of us needs to be pursuing God in every single way. We need to be in prayer. We need to be reading scripture. We need to be reading all we can about the faith. Yeah, theology is not a bad word. You can, you can read about theology. But at the same time, it's okay to get our emotions in, involved here. Amen. It's okay to really, truly love God and desire Him and crave Him. I think there's not only a way that we are in the middle, but I think we're intended to be in the middle here. Because if we know God, we will be affected by God. And if we love God, we will have affection for God. Jonathan Edwards, he was writing in the middle of the Great Awakening. He wrote this. He said, our external delights, our earthly pleasures, and our reputation, our human relationships, for all these things, our desires are eager and our appetites are strong. When it comes to these things, our hearts are tender and sensitive, deeply impressed, easily moved, much concerned, and greatly engaged. We get depressed at our losses. We're excited and joyful about any worldly success or prosperity. And then he makes this shift. He says, when it comes to spiritual matters, though, how dull we feel, how heavy and hard our hearts We can sit and hear of the infinite height and length and breadth and love of God in Christ Jesus, of his giving his infinitely dear son, and yet sit there cold and unmoved. If we're going to be excited about anything, shouldn't it be our spiritual lives? Is there anything more inspiring, more exciting, more lovable and desirable in heaven or earth than the gospel of Jesus Christ? We should be utterly humbled that we are not more emotionally affected than we are in the church. I think that's, that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. That's it. I mean, there's a foundational truth here. We cannot separate faith in Christ from feelings and emotions for Christ. It seems a little weird to have feelings for Christ. It's just saying it that way. I think that it's just culture has used those words differently. But I think, I think about this. What if God intends more than just that you know him? What if he intends also that you enjoy him? That would make sense, I think. 
I think God would get great glory in being not only known by his disciples, but also enjoyed by his people. Yeah, we're going to be in a passage this morning in the book of John, if you want to turn there with me. John chapter 6, uh, ironically, or not, because this is how God works. This is the one I am passage that we did not talk about in our I am series. And I don't think there's a better one to talk about this this morning. So we're going to be in John chapter 6, starting at verse 25. Uh, if you want to go there with me, just a little bit of background here. Uh, the beginning of this chapter in, in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. He has, uh, with the five loaves and the two fish, and as a result, Jesus has quite the following, you can imagine. He has given people food. It's a miracle. People are following Jesus. Uh, and so you have all these people who are flocking to Jesus, and Jesus kind of gets away from them a little bit. The disciples got in a boat, went to the other side. Jesus did not go with them. Just right before we get to this passage, Jesus is walking on the water over to the other side of the lake. So this chapter has included feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water, and then we get to this piece in verse 25, and he kind of catches up to the disciples, catches up to the crowds, and you can imagine they have questions. Here's their question. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? <laughs> you can imagine they also were wondering, how did you get here? <laughs> Not only when, but how. What is... How? When? When did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, very truly, I tell you, you are not looking for me, because you saw the signs I performed. But be, oh, sorry, I read that wrong. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are not looking for me. You are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what, what must we do? To, what must we do to do the works God requires? I don't know why I'm struggling with this so much. They asked him, what must we do to, to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread for them to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. <laughs> you can imagine. Okay, yeah, that's the bread that we want, right? Give us this bread. And he, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. We'll stop right there this morning. I think as we're, we're reading this, there's just kind of an incredible conversation that happens between Jesus and these people. These people are, they have seen him do a miracle. Jesus is saying, oh, you, you're, you're not quite understanding, there's maybe some misconceptions about who I am. For you. And he begins to have this conversation. He begins to address some of the deeper things that are going on in their lives. And, and I think here in this passage, there's a, there's a few things that give us sort of a glimpse into this, this hunger at our core for Jesus. Jesus is teaching us a little bit. And here's, here's the first thing I think he's teaching us is that this only Jesus, only God can fulfill our desires. 
Only God can fulfill our desires. The very beginning, the crowds are wondering, when did you get here? Or how did you get here? There's just so many questions. Jesus completely ignores that question. He doesn't say, well, I just took a stroll across the lake. I took a boat. When did you get here? How did you get here? Jesus says, you're not looking for me. You're looking for me not not because you want me, but because I fed you. You don't really know who I am. You're, you're just wanting food. You're wanting your desires met. This is not, it's not what this is about. I mean, but really, he takes this picture of food and he kind of uses this picture of, of feeding these people food to, to kind of show us about these, these natural cravings that we have in ourselves. We were created to crave. He created us to hunger and thirst. I mean, even Jesus was hungry and thirsty. And in this passage, Jesus uses these, I think, to teach us something about ourselves. I mean, each of these cravings was meant to be satisfied by God. Our deepest desires, our deepest cravings are meant to be satisfied by God. You go back to the garden, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were designed to want food, to crave food. Satan comes in and he begins to sow doubt. Did God really say yeah, God really said, I can eat of anything here except for that one tree. They were created to want that food. The temptation, though, was to find satisfaction in the things that they could not have. To find the satisfaction of hunger in some place that was not of God. To find that satisfaction of things of the world instead of from the hands of the Creator. And you get back to John chapter 6, verse 630. It's like, what, what kind of signs... Can we expect? I am. I'm the bread of life. If you're looking to satisfy your physical needs, I can, you're looking to satisfy your physical needs, I can satisfy your spiritual needs, is what he's saying. Right, satisfaction, what we see here, is satisfaction is not found in, in just the gifts, but in the giver, in God. This is where our satisfaction is met. God has created each of us with a, with a craving in our souls, a hunger in our souls that can only be satisfied with him. But I want you to think about this. Where do we find our satisfaction? In life, where do we find our satisfaction? Where do we seek for our satisfaction? Where do you seek for satisfaction? I mean, God has given us so many gifts. Forgiveness, mercy, grace, heaven, family, friends, and different things in life we enjoy. But here's a question. If you could have all of those things but not God, would you still want them? Where's the satisfaction coming from? The satisfaction should be coming from God. But we live in a culture and we are a people who, who find our satisfaction in so many other things. And in fact, we have so many things to find satisfaction in that sometimes we forget where it all came from. And it all comes from God. We, we need to realize this morning that our deepest craving should not be for something, but instead for someone. And the temptation is to come into this room looking to kind of get our fill. We sing the songs that we enjoy. We hear a good word from the Bible. We, and we leave satisfied. We, we, we leave satisfied, but we never really give thought sometimes that, that we're seeking satisfaction in those things. And not necessarily, this is, even if the music was awful and my sermon is real bad. You know what? We have met with God this morning. And that's satisfaction. Only Jesus can satisfy. I mean, even Paul, Paul in Philippians 3, talks about considering everything that he had as garbage, rubbish. 
It all, it all pales in comparison to Christ, which leads us to our, our second truth. If Christ alone can satisfy us, how do we get to a place where we crave more of him and less of the world? If Christ alone can satisfy, how do we get to a place where, where that's all we want? Now, these people that Jesus is talking to have the same kind of thought. Right, they asked this question in 628, which is actually one of the most Jewish questions you could ask. Here's what it says. Then they asked him, what must we do? What must we do to do the works God requires? Throw on that yoke, Jesus. That yoke that we talked about two weeks ago. Hey, what's this yoke? What do I need to do? Add on to the list. You know, those 600 laws. All right, what's a few more, right? If I get to know God, if I get to crave God, like, what can I do? This is, this is the wrong question, though, right? This is, this is not what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus isn't saying, like, hey, look, I'll give you this bread, but you got to do this and this and this. You can tell by his answer. What does Jesus answer this with? He says, the work of God is this, believe in me. The work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. Believe in me. This is the work. How do I get the bread of life? Do I need to be a good person? Add, do this, say this many prayers and do all this kind of stuff. No. What work do I need to do? Jesus says, the work is this. Believe in me. That's it. We can have the bread of life. This is what we talked about on Easter. This is all it takes. Romans chapter 10, if you believe, with your, if you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and proclaim with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Jesus said, what do we need to do? What do we need to do to, to be able to have this bread of life? Jesus is saying, just, just believe. Right? This, this, this is it. This is where Galatians 5 comes to mind. Galatians 5, chapter 24. Those who, those who belong to Christ have, had, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. What does that mean? It means that we've, we've started to put to death the things that we gather satisfaction from and we are only gathering satisfaction now from Jesus Christ who is now in me this is this is what this is and maybe maybe here you're struggling with with greed or lust or with jealousy how do you overcome that you overcome those things by having more pleasure in your relationship with Christ than you can find in those other things in a lot of cases it's a little more complicated than that but that's the base how do I overcome these things that I'm being tempted with? We find more satisfaction in Jesus than we do in the things that we're being tempted with. When Satan comes in and says, hey, if you do this, you're going to be satisfied, you can say, I know what that tastes like. It doesn't taste anything like Jesus. I want this. I want Jesus. I crave Jesus. First John 1, 9. This is living this out. I'm confessing my sins, God, and you are faithful and just. You are cleansing me of these sins. You are, you are making me righteous again. I want to be satisfied with the bread of life. And, and our prayer becomes, God, increase my desire for pleasure. And that's sort of a weird, a weird thought, especially if you've grown up in and this camp over here, and <laughs> this, I just want to know more about Jesus camp. Usually, Amen. this one is like, here's your list of things to not do. We just go deep. <laughs> so this prayer, God, give me, give me more pleasure, is sort of a weird prayer to, to pray, but God, help me, 
help me find more pleasure, but I want to find my pleasure in you. There's this quote from C.S. Lewis. (coughs) He says this. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that the notion has crept in from the world and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are too easily pleased, he says. We are too easily pleased. Did you catch that? I mean, if we are, if we are thinking that the things of this world, that having the right job, the right amount of money, the right house, the right car, the right relationship, if we're thinking that any of that is going to bring us satisfaction, then what Jesus is saying in John 6 to us and what C.S. Lewis is reminding us of this morning is that is simply not the case. God, transform our desires that we want more of you and less of the world, that we want our satisfaction from you alone. Which leads us back to the first truth, that only Jesus can satisfy. Right, this, this last question, the people in verse, in verse 34, they have the, the most appropriate question, I think, for Jesus. It's not even a question, it's just kind of like, it says this, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. <laughs> this is what I want. Right, this satisfaction that you're talking about, this bread of life that you are talking about, the bread of God, verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. I want the bread that gives me life. I want the bread that gives me life from God. I want that bread. And Jesus looks at them and he says, I am the bread of life. I can satisfy. Only I, only, only me. And we, uh, my prayer this week is that, that we desire the bread that satisfies. Amen. That we desire the bread of life, that we want him, that we desire him, that everything we are, including our emotions and everything, that we, we sit somewhere here in the middle of this pendulum. I mean, I love God with everything that I am. I have feelings and admiration for and just just this profound love for God. But it is rooted in the word of God. Amen. It is rooted in good theology. It is rooted in what I know he thinks about me and what he thinks about the world. It is rooted in all of this. I think as we, as we sit here in the middle, we can say that all of us, all of our emotions are in the right spot. Amen. All of our emotions are just saw it after being in pursuit of God. That's really what we need. Again, this, this pursuit of God never stops. It never stops. We always go. We always want more. Always, always, always. We will never arrive until we arrive. Which, looking forward to that day. Always pursue. 
It is okay to be emotionally invested <laughs> in God. It is okay to be emotional about God. It's okay. Let's free up our emotions. Let's free up our desires. Let's free up our passions and put them where they belong, Jesus Christ. As we give up all that we are to him, this is probably one of the first things that needs to be gone. Our desires for everything else. Our desire for satisfaction from anywhere else in the world that we are getting it. And our prayer needs to be, God, would I only be satisfied with you? Would I only find satisfaction in relationship with you? That's our prayer this week. Let's pray.